the Everyman Podcast. The Everyman. Let's go. Special edition. Our first, and I'm sure it won't be our last, PhD. Ladies and gentlemen, returning <clears throat> to the Everyman Podcast for an unprecedented fourth time, Dr. Dylan Doctor. Dickstein. Dr. Dylan Dickstein, how are you, brother? Hey guys, thanks to have thanks for having me again. Ah, uh, dude, come on, you're one thanks of our for being on. You're, you're, you're one of our favorite guys to have on the show. Um, and again, as I said, congratulations, Dr. Dylan Dickstein. Thank you. Yeah, mm, long time coming. Five and a half years uh, of uh, grad school. Later, how long? How long? Half you take of it? my life. Five and a half years uh, to get my PhD. Uh, and that was just the grad school part. <laughs> so what's what's uh, what's the best thing about being a doctor? I think being able to uh, to go on a plane and uh, if someone you know needs a doctor to be the person to stand up and say, actually, it's not me, but I, I you were asking for a doctor. I, I I'm here to to help to. with the airplane itself. But, uh, yeah. you know, if you need this to fly the plane. Structural issue? Engineering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there's a problem with the wing, I, I might be able to give you some solutions that we can do on the ground. Uh, we don't have enough lift. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 See, you got you to be careful because, you know, at the beginning, you know, you get on the plane. They're like, oh, pre-boarding. I'm a doctor. Okay, come on, Mr. Dr. Dickstein. Yes, okay. And then if they need a doctor, they're like, yeah, he's Dr. Dickstein. Dude he's right there. here. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, you don't want right. to. Yeah. It, it, Putting me in the emergency exit doesn't really benefit it's anyone. Not, it's like, not going to benefit anyone unless, yeah. I'll tell you what. I've had to do a little more flying than normal the last couple months. And I cannot understand how we do not have a system in place in this great country to guide people on how to get off a plane in an appropriate manner. You know, like just mm. a simple system of three lights on either side, you know. Red means don't move, and it would just go green. You go. Red, you go. Kind of like at a four-way stop, one and one, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a foreign mm -hmm. concept, and you see these animals jumping up from the back. And then the other, I've also noticed another key culprit is people who overpack their bags, and they can't actually hold the weight of their carry-on oh, over their man. head. That's they can, huge. They can drag... The wheelie bag is a problem. They can drag it behind them all the way through the airport. They sort of can get it up, but pick it up ex full extension. No, it's a, that's that's an issue. The the other part of it too is, uh, you know, the the overhanging part above the seats is not that high up. Like most people are going to hit their heads when they stand up, and so you have the folks who think that that means they can just jump into the aisle and it crowds the aisle. Uh, but it's like, yeah, stay seated uh, until, like, you know, maybe two rows ahead of you has started to move and then get up and go. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think uh, for as much as we get safety briefings uh, every flight, there should probably should be a, a sort of an exodus briefing, too. Six, give me 45 seconds on how to exit the plane. Mm -hmm. Just a quick reminder, yeah. everyone. We're going to go or, or maybe like... One, two, three, four. You know, just it's not that hard. Just odd, even, odd, even. Right. This is this is something. Someday, I'm I'm advocating. This isn't. This is something that, for the good of humanity, we need to get. Going. This is why I'm rooting for for Elon with the with the tubes. Throw me in a tube. Send me to fucking Mars. I don't care. Get me <laughs> out of dealing with the general public on a plane because it's like sometimes I wonder like how are these people? What are these? How do these people exist out in the world? <laughs> 
if they can barely get off a plane. Yeah, uh, no, for sure. I mean, it, it, to be fair, uh, uh, I, I haven't done my own uh, private flying in a little while, but, uh, but that, that is one of the luxuries of, uh, of uh, learning how to fly, uh, being able to uh, not have to go through security, not have to uh, wait for anyone. They don't, uh, you it, don't get metal detected or anything? If you're flying your own plane, you, you and your passengers go without metal detection. Hmm. That's sick. Did you see that, awesome. that guy a couple weeks ago? Like st- he was like a worked at an airport, no flying experience, stole a plane, and was flying around. Whoa! He was flying around. What? Yeah, he got up in the air. Apparently, he was just playing. I swear to God, he was just playing flight simulator and like learned how to start the plane, and oh, got it up. Man. And app- wow. and he was flying around, and he was threatening to f- crash it into a Walmart. So they were like evacuating all these WalMarts and stuff. He got oh, they got him on geez. the ground. They they talked him into it. But I mean, that's pretty impressive. Give that guy a job. Sounds like he's got a little too much, you know, we need to, that's kind of how I was when I was, I was getting into too much trouble because I had too much idle time. So he just, I was just took a plane? Yeah, he just was working at the airport, just fucking took one. Wow. That, that's a lot of flight sim experience. Like, I, <laughs> I was about I, to say I, that, yeah. Like, that, that, that dude was on a mission because uh, <laughs> I, I tell you the truth, like, even a, a pretty simple uh, small plane like the one I was flying, uh, you have to kind of know what you're doing to even get that thing to turn on. Yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not like because you have to like yeah. prime the engines and everything and like it start the fuel pumps, right? It's not like just a turnkey situation. Exactly. And then and then also like, <laughs> you know, this isn't like some sort of vertical takeoff kind of vehicle. You have to get going a certain speed before you even can get enough lift to go up. Yeah. And so but this person had a, a good idea of how fast it's pretty he impressive. Needed to go, yeah. I mean, I mean like short of the, I mean, the like, criminal aspect you know, of it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Once this person does their time, yeah, maybe give them a job at American Airlines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, right. seriously, you could get it. Ah, uh, dude, and you know, like it's, you know, there, there's those. A buddy of mine sent me this little stunt plane you can buy that's like seventy thousand dollars, something like that. They start at, and it's it's the one that rest in peace, Roy Halliday, who was like allegedly on meth or something when he crashed it. He, Jeez. that was what he had, the, the Phillies pitcher. And it's just like a little one seater jet plate. Well, not a jet. It's like a, a propeller plane. Uh, but it's like under a hundred grand and you don't need a pilot's license to fly it because it's like small enough. Like there's some sort of loophole where it's like a, it's not really a plane. You know, it's, it's a brace. It's not a stock. One of those federal loopholes. And okay. uh, you can just get one and watch like a, a video like a five-hour video and click a box and you get you get you can just fly it wow sounds dangerous <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds very dangerous what could go wrong you know yeah i'm sure there's a quite a few uh quite a few of those in texas probably it's that sounds like a texas special right there uh so dr dickstein last time we saw you uh you know we've been chronicling your your journey uh through your phd candidacy um your biodome-esque experience, um, your journeys through the NASA pool. What's going on with you, bro? Like, what, do you, what have you been up to? Give everybody a uh, catch us up here. Yeah. I, I think uh, sequentially, like, the, the other big thing, as you had kind of alluded to, the NASA astronaut uh, selection, I have, a, I have the results. Uh, the results are in. Uh, and... I, I did it about as well as I could have ever hoped for my first time applying. 
uh, of the 12,000 applicants, I made it to the top 120. Mm, wow. And, uh, and so this is considered the NASA quarterfinals. And uh, essentially, they put you into about one of 10 groups, uh, typically five female and five male groups. Uh, and this is based upon your profession. So for me, I'm, I'm male engineer, this is my category. And in the country, I end up making it to about the top 12. Uh, naturally, about 120 people remaining. And so there's about 12 people uh, per group. And uh, the, uh, the guy they end up choosing, uh, super, you know, su- super worthy. And uh, also a PhD in engineering. And, uh, and the guy uh, uh, has lots of really impressive experience flying in different languages and scuba diving. Uh, he also has some military experience. That's something that I, I, I don't have, uh, which is a plus. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely a, a good first attempt. And uh, it's like the Olympics. It's roughly once every four years. And so mm-hmm. in, a, in a few years from now, we'll try again. Wow, man. Well, first of Dude, all, that's awesome to get that far too, for real. That's, that's, that's incredible. Amazing. I mean, first time. Shit. That's awesome. Thank you. Obviously, you know, I'm bummed. And you know what? To the NASA employees that are probably still monitoring your, your media. <laughs> you guys, come on. Come yeah, on. man. Well, now, I do doing? get the I do get the military aspect of it, because I would think that that's the ultimate tiebreaker when you're looking for like if I had to. And I do this, you know, my job now where I'm, where I'm staffing a team and I'm looking at if I've got five qualified candidates and there's one thing that stands out, you know, when you're dealing with an operation like sending humans into space, it's not the worst thing to have a little military in you, you know, um, yeah. that's probably especially, you know, there's probably secrets involved and clearances and things like that. So it, it, it I could see how that's you know, a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, NASA, NASA's goal is to, uh, is to mitigate risk. Right. And, uh, and they want to know as much about you as, as they can before they commit, uh, because, uh, every astronaut who, who, every astronaut who is hired is, uh, a multi-million dollar expense and the, and a face for the entire organization. Right. And so you need to make sure that what you're bringing on is, is not going to, uh, uh, potentially, uh, yeah, increase the risk of, uh, of hurting the image, uh, or the productivity of the, of the goals. And so for people that are civilian, the, the idea is to be able to show NASA that you have that kind of regiment in your life and that you've exposed yourself to different, uh, sort of operation, uh, different operations that are more, uh, more expected, uh, within the military. Uh, and this sort of thing is, it is why folks like myself will, uh, will, will, will challenge their bodies, uh, to, to go flying, uh, to go scuba diving, or as I did in uh, a couple of years ago to, uh, sign up for a marathon and, and train properly for it. Oh yeah. I, I also got to imagine that, I mean, just in the last year since we've had you on the, there's so much public commercial space, stuff going on right now for lack of a better phrasing but you know there there's gonna be nasa is not gonna be the only show in town for much longer i think as far as you know uh sending people into space regularly and there's there's no doubt in my mind that you're gonna get there 
you know, you just, oh, yeah. if you, if you want it, you'll get it, dude. Thank you guys. I'll tell you though, uh, my, my prediction for, for how the sort of private commercial, uh, uh, space collaboration is going to pan out for at least for a while is, uh, c- companies such as SpaceX, uh, where, where I used to work, uh, they, they are probably the front runner right now for, uh, for getting NASA astronauts, uh, or other commercial astronauts, uh, into space. And, uh, uh, you also have blue origin, which is, uh, uh, doing suborbital, uh, efforts right now, but if their uh, new Glenn vehicle works out, then, then they also have a chance at being, uh, orbital just like SpaceX is. And then you have uh, companies such as Virgin Galactic, which are prioritizing, uh, 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 crossing the carbon line so going into proper uh, or getting uh, just underneath the carbon line but getting into proper space uh but but also uh there's suborbital efforts i i think uh, even spacex though which is going orbital with uh with with anyone who wants to uh buy a ticket or or is uh, asked essentially assigned via nasa to to fly on one of their vehicles I think NASA, one of the things that NASA does the best is hire astronauts. I I think what we'll see is uh, even these private companies leaning pretty hard on NASA to essentially do that legwork, find out who are the folks that would be the best ones to to ride. Well, they have the most, they have the most vetted knowledge and experience and they've probably, you know, I've always thought, I don't know, maybe it's my tinfoil hat thing, but it's pretty pretty obvious like when you look at the history of nasa uh that space exploration and and just poking around out there really was a military operation first and then it you know with the air force and then it they make nasa and it is publicly funded and that's the face of it and then that really ushers in the golden era of of you know the apollo program and all that but you got to wonder like how many things have occurred in space that's top secret that we have no idea that there were test flights or, you know, people that didn't make it or, you know, accidents that have occurred, especially like when you, you know, like the Russian space program is is similar too. And having access to all that information internally, especially when it comes to, like you said, like qualifying candidates, like red flags or personality traits that they find out don't work well when when you're in space you know or types of people you that just doesn't doesn't make a good fit i would think they have a treasure trove of secret information probably true uh yeah exactly right the the folks who 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 look at all the astronaut candidates have looked at tens of thousands of people and and as well as the ones that they have eventually hired and been able to say you know these 10 out of the 11 astronauts were inc- incredibly successful and we did a great job hiring them. But this, this one person, maybe, maybe that archetype is not the, what kind we should focus on next time. You know, uh, not every astronaut who is hired is, uh, is the next, you know, uh, John Glenn. Right. Uh, yeah, you, you do have some astronauts who are hired who will go on, on a mission to space and maybe for whatever reason, uh, their productivity wasn't what they hoped or maybe their personality wasn't quite as level as they expected. 
and, and all, all they do is not get assigned to the next mission. Uh, and, and then uh, I, I think we've had one or two instances in, in U.S. history where an astronaut has not flown. Uh, they, they either left before they were told no flight or uh, they were essentially grounded. Well, this is one of my favorite stories. I think they're making a movie of it is the, uh, the gal who spied on her soon-to-be yeah. ex-wife yeah. from the International Space Station. She accessed her bank account illegally from space yeah. mm. to, to see if she was talking to some guy. And then, like, when she got back down, she she drove from, like, Orlando to Houston. And she had, like, rope and an axe. And she was wearing a diaper. Like, she, like, completely lost her mind. And mm. and I always remembered that part of the story, be it the diaper part. I thought, I was like, well, that right there, that to me is, like, someone who's like, well, I can't afford to take any breaks. That is a real type A you know, crazy person. Don't <laughs> like, lose I'm, your shit, man. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. Yeah. Don't want to lose yeah. your shit. But that. But it's almost <laughs> I, like it's kind of funny because you can see like that. Like even though they've they've completely lost their mind, there's a little bit of them that's still thinking like, you know what? I am an astronaut. I'm gonna wear a diaper. I'll only stop for gas. That's it. <laughs> I am glad you know that story because because that is uh, that is a good one. Uh, it has a whole Wikipedia article. Uh, by the way, uh, it, it uh, yeah. It, you can ha- you can hire the most logical folks, the most uh, you know forward-thinking folks. Plan everything out, uh, and, and and in most situations, that person probably is very level and very reasonable. But being able to uh, NASA wants to make sure that you have challenged yourself enough to where any sort of risk like that has or uh, any sort of issues have already uh, seen the surface. You know, like uh, I'm sure NASA wishes that they had looked at that person closer or maybe had waited one more cycle with that person for that person to try to get themselves into situations where that uh, their true colors have fully shown. And unfortunately in this case, uh, this person just, uh, there was, there was, there were things underneath the surface that, you know, just didn't come out until after this person was an astronaut. And and it's, there's a similar thing with, um, special forces operators in the military where I was, I read a book about Navy SEALs and how it's kind of common that if, if you're deployed and your spouse lives on base, they monitor you, the activity of your spouse while they're on base because it's not uncommon for there to be infidelity issues. Sure. And mm. which is actually, uh, it's against the military code. Like it's a crime. It's a military crime. Um, infidelity, adultery, and it can result in your, you know, uh, removal from your position. But if they find out that, that your significant other is, you know, fornicating, um, they will pull you back. Like they'll, they'll take you out of active combat to like a FOB somewhere like in Germany or somewhere neutral and then isolate the, the spouse too. And then bring you back and tell you like, hey, by the way, here's what's going on, because they don't want oh. they don't want to risk, like with the NASA thing, they they don't want people you know, downrange in Fallujah finding out that their wife is banging their neighbor, you know, because like then they snap and they they lose it over there or they yeah. kill, they kill themselves or they you know what I mean yeah. like there's a whole 
And that's that, that kind of human, the humanity problem of any big task, you know, like, uh, everybody has their, their quirks. And I, you know, I'm, I'm running a big warehouse operation out here in Dallas now, and I deal with a lot of over the road truck drivers and there's different, there's two different types of drivers. There's like dock to dock, like local guys, like somebody's picking up some goods from a warehouse near the airport and they're taking it to a Best Buy and then the Best Buy sells it or whatever. And then there's like a guy who picks up a freight in Burlington, New Jersey and drives it to Kansas City, Missouri. Those guys, you can have 10 of them in a room and all 10 of them don't make a normal person. They're all excellent. <laughs> they're all excellent at what they do. And they're all like, like to be a truck driver, you have to have engineering knowledge. You have to have an understanding of that. Just the, the, the mechanics of your vehicle, all the, like if you ever get into a, if you ever have the opportunity to get into a tractor trailer and look at the gauges, it's fucking crazy. Like you think you'd, you're in a submarine or something. There's just so much shit in there. And you have to have all this knowledge and understanding and then understanding the roads and the laws and the rules and this and that. But then you sit down and you talk to them and they're like, God, were you like this? Because you, did you get into driving because you're like this or did being on the road too long turn you into this? Like you, you can't have like, there's like that human element of, all right, well at the end of the day, we're sending people up into space and like some weird shit is going to happen to your brain. We, we don't, we can't figure out everything. And then you're up there, you're already hanging on the edge. You're, you're wearing a, diaper and you're peeing in a tube next to five other guys and then all of a sudden your your wife is cheating on you and you're in space you know it's like what are you gonna do yeah try not to uh to lose your mind yeah like imagine having God. a meltdown on the space station like because i've had some meltdowns and like <laughs> like if i had to do it in zero gravity where i'm like like i just i couldn't get any traction because you know you want to like <laughs> you you just be just running in, in place and nothing, nothing's happening you know you can't slam any that'd doors. be a sad sight yeah, yeah, that, yeah that'd, be, that'd be really embarrassing <laughs> the person's like spinning yeah. rotating oh yeah just like just frustrated yeah. just moving very slowly oh, but God, also yeah. fast so that's hilarious that's a, that's a scene right there um but I, yeah until we get you know fully autonomous you know ai that we can trust it's always going to be difficult to to pick candidates for this uh here's another uh piece of news uh so, sort of a, a lateral move here but uh i i moved in with my girlfriend did you yeah, yeah. that's over yeah. now good for you yeah man how long have you guys there been you together go. now yeah, my, my girlfriend and I have been together for, for almost two and a half years. Ooh. And uh, Ooh. we moved in together about uh, two months ago. We've seen this blossom before our eyes, Daryl. Exactly. Come, coming on it, man. You, oh, yeah. you, we you were almost just talking about, about that. To, might have to drop yeah. that ring on it pretty soon there, man. Yeah, you, Whoa. Yeah. Ew. Go Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, listen, in my, in my experience, you move in with a girl. If you... You know pretty. I think you'll know pretty quickly. Like this, this is gonna work or it's not gonna work. Like living cohabitating with a with a woman when you've been a single guy, it's like all right, I can do this. It's immediately clear. Or it's or you you don't you know it's. So I think if you you know you hang in there a month, you're set for life, buddy. We're talking to Triple D here. I know you're a doctor. They just I mean they're just coming out of the the woodworks. They're just flying at them, dude. If he's moving in. This is some serious shit, bro. Yeah. Like, 
I, yeah, I mean, and uh, my girlfriend and I had spent nearly every day together prior to moving in. So we, we certainly had vetted our, yeah. our own personalities you, you and our own habits. living and, together. Yeah, and, uh, but, but moving in, you know, the apartment that had been hers and uh, hers and her female roommates for, for a year uh, now is, you know, the two of us. And so uh, going through that transition of making it our apartment, that, that, that was, uh, you know, that, that, that took a little, a little bit of time. And mm-hmm. for, fortunately, uh, we, we were very well aligned with what we wanted in our apartment. But, you, you know, some sort of like uh, neutralization of our interests and our, and our vibes. Right. Well, what, what does your man space look like? What do you got in your man space? What do you, what do you, what are you packing? You got is it a big screen TV or what do you, what do you got going on there? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy with my piano, my, my keyboard and my guitar. See, there you I, go. Yeah. Man, shit. I love it. And, and I love my LEDs. Like you can't see them right now, but I've LED the entire place. Brother Jay, LEDs. Yeah. I just got and, some and ch- cool. So check, check this out too. So, uh, uh, the LEDs, LEDs that I have have uh, these uh, controllers where they also have a microphone. Uh, and so I essentially uh, put a stereo just underneath this microphone uh, in, in the bedroom and in the living room. And uh, what, I, what happens essentially is you can turn on music in your apartment and uh, it actually will dance to the, to the lights. Uh, you know, the lights will dance to the music. Sick. And... Uh, if you essentially set up the stereo to where the left is on one room and the right is on the other room, you actually can get like, doom, 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 you know, nice. this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's I love fun. that. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, see, that's that engineering, you buddy. I love it. <laughs> Even yeah. it comes out in, yeah. the, in the home. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, yeah, man. Yes. Yeah, a simple task such as lighting up a room. Yeah. That's kind of how I am with things too. Like, I'll just find a way to make it as complicated as possible uh, for my enjoyment. We just, <laughs> <laughs> I got the, the Google thing and I'm talking and programming the, the temperature and the lights with the temperature. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's technology. We're getting in this weird area where like uh, everything still kind of looks the way it did in the nineties to an extent, but tech is getting like, is just getting really good. It's like very, very, it's accelerating very rapidly. Oh yeah. And, um, just with, like, I mean, like something like a graphics card in the last five years. You know, you, you look at some of these things and the PC power, and it's uh, we're heading in. We're heading in for some for some weird times. What uh, what are you doing? So since you didn't get into NASA on this run, are you going to conti- like you're going to continue to build? And is that your your goal is to get get up in there? Exactly. Like uh, if the cadence uh, ends up being once every four years, then then that's the that that's essentially the the periods of time that that I'll be able to prove myself, and I, the, one of the one of the main things that I was missing, and I was fully aware of this going into this application cycle, was I, I just don't, I just didn't have full time work experience. One of the things that is is tough for for people that are sub thirty or sub twenty five. I, I applied when I think I was twenty five years old. Uh, is, is that I, I was still a grad student. I was working on my PhD. And uh, now that I finished my PhD, uh, I went through a, a, an application cycle for, you know, full-time rocket jobs, rocket designer and analyst jobs, uh, my, my bread and butter. And uh, and now, uh, as of, I think, last a couple of days ago, 
I, I'm, I've been working at Virgin Orbit as a rocket designer and analyst for a month. Nice. So really, it, it just it, moving it, right into it. It does take a right rocket along. scientist, huh? We got a, we got ourselves a rocket. Dude, a rocket we knew that. We knew that shit from the beginning, man. <laughs> that was brilliant, man. This is it. I mean, it's, it's not. Great. It's yeah. not like you could just have gone and gotten a job at Target, you know? Like no. that, that wouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, if they if Target wants to work on a on an orbital launch vehicle, Target, I'm happy. <laughs> Can you imagine like Dyson vacuums? They're like, listen, we're taking a hard left, and we're gonna build rockets. They actually did that with cars. They were they were trying to make an electric car, uh, but it it didn't. I, I think they're still in development or something. But the yeah, they they took all their vacuum cash and tried to make a car with it. Mm. Which company? Dyson, like the vacuums. Oh, really? Well, because oh, okay. that guy, like he, you know, you should look into him. You'd find him interesting. He, James Dyson, I believe his name is. So he's just an engineer, and was like just trying to fix. Like he was just trying to, kind of entrepreneur himself into wealth, and picked va- vacuums as a thing that he could do better. And then they just okay. they made a you know billions of dollars making good vacuums and fans and shit that that they were like, all right, we'll take this cash and engineer something else. But apparently they just didn't have the magic uh the magic No, and have the secret mix. sauce. Well, I hmm. think everybody's I mean Apple has been allegedly that's right. what, you know, they've been working on something for you know, years now with all that iPhone money. Um because it gets to a certain point, like what are you gonna keep just selling iPads and iPhone like you gotta you got to scale up. That's kind of the whole nature of the beast. I'm, I'm excited for a, sort of a like a glasses wearable that actually works and then actually is uh, aesthetic. Well, mm-hmm. I, I I think there's a lot of like I think about it for I think it's for working is where they need to like that could revolutionize how um, like people in this country work in factories and warehouses in a restaurant like taxes like imagine. I was just, I was literally just had this thought the other day because I was reading about this, this display and I'm, I'm looking through stacks of paper and I'm looking for a, a certain number. And I was thinking to myself, what if I had some sort of AR glasses that I could say, look for this number because it's going to find that quicker than I would be able to read through a page and, oh, there's the number. And it, you know what I mean? That just goes to it. But I'll tell you, the number one killer app, this, this is my dream. And I hope somebody's listening to this. You can have it because this is what I want. I want a camera on my backyard, all right, that looks over my lawn. And I want it to track my dogs where they poop and geotag exactly in the lawn where the turd is. So then Mm. I put my glasses on, I go out there, and it's just like, you know, just like a path of golden delights before me. Just boom, 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 boom. Can you imagine how fucking useful that would be? I mean, I'll tell you, like, I—that's uh, uh, not a bad idea, though, right? I mean, come on. It, it's a solid idea, and I think it's not that hard to implement. To be honest, like, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, think just I, tracking I, a box I, where it poops, geotag. I, I mean, honestly, I, I would, I, I would say, like, there's a decent chance that fecal matter is high in iron. If you have a detector that can recognize iron, uh, you know, low, high levels of iron. Also, it's a good chance that it's going to be warmer than the surrounding area. Heat. And so if you have a yeah. thermal camera on it, you can probably identify it. Like this is, this is some pretty easy stuff, I think, to, to figure it out. But if, yeah, if someone can package it up into a nice app uh, with a, maybe a wearable, that's pretty sweet. 
Yeah, it would be pretty sweet. And just like the ability, like imagine you're a kid and you're building Legos, you know, with an AR headset on, like how cool that would be. Or teaching kids how to just how to take apart a car engine. Like you could you could take somebody like me who has no real knowledge, but I like I'm willing to to learn. And you could just be like, okay, you take this nut off, you take this nut off, and you could just completely take something apart and put it back together with just you know a pair of glasses. So I don't think it's going to be like. Oh, it's cool to like take photos of people. I don't know. Like, there'll be stupid stuff like Snapchat filters. People will be putting filters on other people's faces and stuff. I mean, I think you're. I think we are today seeing uh, AI and heads-up displays uh, infiltrate manufacturing. It's not as pervasive, I think, as as it. It's not sufficiently pervasive to where it's all that useful to anyone, uh, even in manufacturing, but. Uh, yeah, as you're describing, imagine a, a technician is trying to assemble a rocket. Uh, if that technician can essentially have the AI say, uh, essentially make a, a highlight around this tool and this tool and this nut and this bolt, and says like, you know, put the, uh, some arrows says go into here. Uh, you know, th- it makes the manufacturing process much easier. You don't have to look at a work order. You don't mm-hmm. have to constantly send, check the next page. You just, you, your that process is built into the wearable that, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is coming first. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that could free people to have more free time where, because there's this, there's this question where it's like, well, if technology replaces the ability for people to work, how are we going to have money and stuff like this? Well, if the, if we increase productivity, and make it so that we're making the same amount of output in less amount of time, and we just agree that that's worth it, then we can't, like, imagine that, like you're saying, like, then all of a sudden, uh, it's not as hard to manufacture a car in the United States because you could do it quickly and quality control it in real time, you know? And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, the 10-hour the, the workday is now an 8-hour workday. Everybody gets to spend more, they get to raise their kids. Oh, oh no. There you go. Be more present. Yeah. What's so? What's your day to day like uh, with with Virgin? Because I didn't you you had a internship with them before, right? Didn't you do something with Virgin? Yeah, good, 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 good recall. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I I actually interned with them in 2017, uh, and this was at the very beginning of my graduate studies. Like right after I had finished my my first year of, of grad school. I, I interned with them, and then now I'm, I'm full time with them at the end mm-hmm. of my PhD. Uh, when when I interned with them in 2017, I was on the launch team, uh, essentially helping actually you know conduct the launches themselves, and uh, and that includes making sure the propellants can can get from A to B, uh, that you you know how much fuel you're delivering, and then also all the ground hardware of uh, like where do you get this fuel from and how do you store it. Now, I'm on the structures team, so I'm working on the the actual design and analysis of the vehicle and upgrades to the vehicle and this sort of thing. And uh, and so I, I yeah, I did definitely a lot of structural analysis and, and design uh, that goes into this sort of thing. And you know, you can imagine that for rockets, we're talking about a structure that needs to be super light, super strong, uh, very reliable. Uh, it, it it definitely calls into uh it definitely requires a lot of uh, creative thinking and some interesting uh solutions and it, it's a fun it, it, you're 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 like part mathematician and part artist at work and it's it's a blast 
And they're just going for primarily like tourism, right? Is that their, or are they looking ahead to like so that, load heavy loads up to the space station? Virgin Galactic, uh, which, which, so, but to be fair, uh, when I interned uh, in 2017, it was originally for Virgin Galactic, which encompassed both the suborbital uh, uh, spaceflight program, uh, as well as their their actual launch vehicle that carries satellites to to, to orbit. Uh, today, th- those two companies have uh, become two. So Virgin Galactic is the one that takes humans to space suborbitally, and and then you have. Uh, uh, Virgin Orbit, where I'm at right now, that works at on the launch vehicle, the actual rockets that take satellites to space, and uh, and, that, and that's actually the side of the company that I worked on in 2017 as well. But it was previously part of Virgin Galactic. Mm. So we're we're putting more satellites in space now than ever before, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, from a from a national or global perspective, yeah. Uh, we're, uh, as more rockets come online you have more capability for some satellite developer uh, or some university making a small satellite program to be able to send their little constellation or their one-off satellite into space. And uh, maybe aligned with that topic, yes, you have a lot more satellites uh, going up into space. And depending on the orbit, if it's like particularly high, like the geostationary orbit, they can stay up there for a long time. Uh, But there are actually a lot of requirements now, uh, legal requirements to, uh, to, to make sure that the satellite can deorbit on its own uh, uh, at the end of its lifetime. So th- there are certainly, like, as you have the capability of more satellites going upward, you also have the capability of it to not become space junk. Nice. And one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, um, and it's kind of funny because... Talking about your old your old boss here, Mr. Elon. Hmm. For a long period of time, he was basically the internet hero. You know, like Reddit, Twitter, social media in general. Like everything he he could take a shit on a plate, and and everybody be like, "Oh my god!" Like, "Oh, put it on my plate," you know. <laughs> and <laughs> like anything he did was great, and like he had the public support of the, the machine. And then all of a sudden the whole Twitter thing. Now, my personal opinion is that I think there's been kind of a scheme running between some of these legacy media outlets and the people that have been running Twitter where they kind of like, if you tell somebody something's important enough that it'll become important. But then the, the reality is like, I don't know about you, Dylan. I don't know how often you use Twitter. I can't imagine you have a, a lot of your time dedicated to using social media as productive as you are. Daryl, I know you don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I, I've, I've sent a few tweets. <laughs> but like, but it's not this like, <laughs> it's not this like life-changing town square for the majority of people that I interact with. And I think there's like, they've made it, they took something, made it seem more important than it really is because they had a means of control of communication. And I think then, you know, like, well, it's trending on Twitter. Like, the, they, it's like they invented a, a status. Like, oh, well, if it's this, it must, you know, and, and people just kind of fell along with it. And then I think Elon was challenging that. There, there's, some, there's some weird backroom power grab going on 
with Twitter. And then all of a sudden, everything Elon does is like, he's, he's a monster and he's, you know, he's got too many kids and he's overpopulating the earth and the Teslas suck. And like now everything's changing. And one of the things that made him such a criminal was, well, they're sending up all these little satellites and it's blocking the view of these independent, you know, astronomers trying to, to make discoveries. Now, like what is, is that, is that a thing? Is that, is that a real issue? Too much shit in space? Uh, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, you, you're, you're talking specifically about Starlink. Uh, so essentially, yeah, SpaceX has their, their, uh, their satellite constellation Starlink, uh, which is providing internet to rural locations. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a great business model. Like uh, the, the, the ROI on satellites tends to be quite good uh, in the aerospace industry. And so if you can have uh, an internet providing service that beats out other internet providers, whether it be speed, uh, bandwidth, latency, or, or just sheer location, like for instance, uh, Starlink uh, is is being marketed now to different airlines, like uh, to be able to uh, to have uh, good internet uh, when you're flying, uh, or for some some yacht owner in in the middle of the Pacific Ocean to be able to have good internet, you know, make a tweet uh, from uh, from <laughs> Samoa. Uh, right. Uh, like it, it's great. It, it actually is, uh, it, it's like, like if we think that the world is connected today, just wait until everyone, no matter where you are, has internet mm-hmm. and, uh, like really fast internet too. And so, uh, uh, that, that is kind of a new wave. One of the byproducts of this is, yeah, naturally you are going to have more satellites in space and, uh, and the way that these satellites are, are essentially inserted into their orbit. They are inserted sequentially, like over the course of a short period of time. So if you can imagine you have 15, 20 Starlink satellites that are being deployed, they're deployed one, one, two, three, two, one, two, three, three. And they essentially come out this way. So they're spaced evenly. And what ends up happening is when you have someone trying to take astrophotography or on the more professional side, some sort of astronomy reading, you can actually get uh, a series of bright lights uh, (laughs) blocking your view. And yeah, I mean, depending on what your goal is, uh, if you're looking for a very specific astronomy reading, yeah, it it can get in your way. Uh, It really can. Like, uh, Like if you're, if you have only the right cloud cover and the right temperatures and your professional astronomer working for NASA or any other organization. One of the issues uh, with, with us aiming for more connectivity in the world is, yeah, you're, you're going to have more things that are going to block your view. Uh, and it's not that it, it, we're not nearly at a place and, and I, it's hard to imagine a world where this would ever become the case, but uh, you, you could essentially just take more images as an astronomer and you know use the images that don't include Starlink or use software to be able to remove uh, those kind of uh, deviations, right? Like th- there are ways to get around this sort of thing. And the idea of us having like sun-like 
bright objects at our in our night sky. I think uh, this is not something that I I can ever Im imagine uh, in any sort of like human civilization. But uh, but yeah, uh, more astronomy images are going to include Starlink and other satellites in the future like this. So it's an issue, but it's like it's not a it's not a deal breaker. Like you can you can work around it. Yeah, if you're a professional in the astronomy field, or if you're an amateur astrophotographer, especially for deep space, uh, it's a nuisance. But I, 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 I think I think the truth is like there are there are remedies to this kind of thing. Is it like plane flight where, like down here and not in space, all like commercial airlines like are attributed to vectors, so you can know exactly where they are, so no one collides into one another or since they're on orbit when you you know deploy those satellites since they are being deployed sequentially like that they never have to worry about any collision so they don't have to know exactly well yeah yeah uh, a satellite collision uh is a really interesting topic actually because i uh, larger than i think i, I think it's two millimeters i think i think anything with a diameter more than two millimeters has been actually is known and documented in the in our night sky uh and so if you have a little fracture of, like some piece of a satellite that came off a nut that's just floating in space we know where it is and we know where it's going at all times so like wow. this little screw for example like if a screw came oh yeah out of... yeah you any, any See, little screw. And they, and they want me to believe that they don't have any good photos of UFOs. Come on, come on, come on. If there's something out there, they know that they know exactly what's out there. If they're, they're tracking screws, they're tracking all sorts of shit up there. Dude. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah. It, the thing is, though, like, c collisions can occur. Uh, and, and actually, the, so let's take, let's take the. Uh, Let's take the James Webb Telescope, for instance, right? So this is the the, the big new uh, uh, spacecraft, right? Uh, uh, the 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 update to the Hubble Telescope is the James Webb tel Space Telescope that launched uh, earlier this year, and we're getting some of the best images we've ever had of the of the night sky, and uh, and maybe you've seen some of these new images of Andromeda. Uh, or some some like you know pretty far off uh, galaxies, and uh, or even some of the new images of uh, of Jupiter are, are stunning. Yeah, I, yeah. And uh, so this the spacecraft is quite large. Like it's it's like like maybe a half a football field kind of large. I mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I. I got to see it actually on the ground uh, in person. It was pretty stunning. Thing. Yeah, something like this. Yeah, uh, it, it is big, and uh, and you can imagine if you're having these uh, sort of nuts and bolts uh, and other little bits that are flying through orbit, uh, and and not even to mention little micrometeoroids, things that are naturally coming into our orbit that are eventually going to burn up before they hit the ground, but might still be active in in space. Mm -hmm. Uh, they can in, 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 they can impact uh, your vehicle, and they do actually like kind of often. Uh, these satellites or spacecraft are designed to be able to handle numerous impacts of small uh, micrometeoroids and orbital debris (MMOD), and uh, because of the difference in speeds, 
it rips through these things, you know, like, like if you, if it, like, there's no question about it. If, if you send like, imagine this, right? Like if you have that, like, like Justin, you had that bolt, uh, you know, imagine that bolt going out of like the strongest, uh, the biggest gun ever cannon. Yeah. 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 Like you send that bolt out of a cannon and then that cannon gives birth to another cannon, you know, like, like, it's like a it, gun. It just, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Actually, that's actually closer to speeds that we're talking about here. Yeah. You send that bolt through a railgun uh, at a uh, at a uh, photovoltaic cell, like a like a solar cell. Uh, it's gonna just rip right through. It doesn't care about the full uh, about the solar cell. And so you actually end up getting these little pock marks on these larger satellites, and, and they're designed to be able to handle this sort of thing for years and years. But eventually, it will have enough of a de- degradation that you'll lose energy and you'll, you'll lose your ability to power the, the satellite and, and it'll die. Um, but yeah, and, and, and there are some ways to mitigate this sort of thing. There, there's something called a, a Whipple shields, uh, which essentially can slow and, and minimize the amount of damage to the satellite. But, uh, but yeah, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're essentially on the front of a spacecraft and you're hanging out there for a year going around, it's 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 not meant for that. So how do <laughs> how do astronauts then survive spacewalks? Like if there's that much stuff going on out there, like how is that even a risk? Yeah. Like you talk about mitigating risk. Like if a fucking paperclip can you know take you out, how do you how do you manage that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, majority of the time, and not all the time, but majority of the time, I. NASA and other organizations have been perfectly correct in terms of identifying all potential inter- intersecting objects. And you essentially would just not do that spacewalk that moment uh, if, you fought, if, if there was any sort of good chance that in that, say, eight-hour spacewalk, there would be uh, enough MMOD, uh, micrometeoroid or orbital debris, that could impact your astronauts. You just wouldn't do it. Uh, there have been instances where astronauts have been hit uh and you you you're you're aware with uh but uh, we've all seen the images of these spacesuits they're thick they're really thick uh they can handle a lot they they're designed to actually uh handle uh micrometeoroid and orbital debris impacts up to a certain size uh, and up to up to a certain number of times and uh, and so yeah it, it happens where actually these tiny things will will impact uh the spacesuits or gloves and this sort of thing and uh if an astronaut during the eva recognizes this uh and depending on the severity of the hole that's created or the or the dent that's created yeah that could be a reason to go back inside that's got what a what a way to make a living now Mm -hmm. slight pivot here now i watched a movie recently and that as I was watching, I turned to my wife, I said, I'm going to talk to Dylan about this movie because this is absurd and I love it. Uh, (laughs) It's called Moonfall. Have you, have you seen this or heard this yet? Moonfall? Maybe not. Oh wait. Oh, you know, I saw a billboard in LA. Uh, uh, Yeah. It it, it looked ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, But (laughs) really, I mean, we should do a watch along the three of us for YouTube. It would be, that sounds fun. Because I would love to get your, your uh, real time analyses. Uh, essentially the moon appears to come out of orbit and it's going to crash into the earth. And 
Halle Berry and Oh yeah. Halle Berry. Let's go. Still mm-hmm. got it. And the guy from all those horror movies that nobody knows his name, but you know who he is. I don't know. I can't I don't I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. Um he's like the astronaut pilot guy. And and basically the moon's falling into the earth and it <laughs> there's all this like crazy it's a Roland I think it's a Ridley Scott produced it. It's actually it's actually like a lot of fun and it's like it's good, like if you don't think about it at all, you know. Um, and there's there's a scene where they basically have to they have to figure out a way to get up to the moon, okay? And they're like, well, our space program shut down. We don't have any working shuttles anymore. The Russians are dead or whatever. So they're like, oh, we're gonna go down to the museum in L.A. and get the the Enterprise or whatever, which is that, is it the Enterprise that's in the, Oh, the Endeavor, the Endeavor, they steal the Endeavor. So they, they take the Endeavor, the military goes in, steals the Endeavor and then they use, and then they use this like experimental Chinese rocket booster. Um, and the whole, the whole hilarity of it is they're trying to get to the moon, but the moon's coming closer to earth. And it's, there's these periods of, they're calling them like gravity waves where like, where like the, the, because of the rotation, the gravity is different. Mm. So like, they don't need as much, lift to escape to get like turn you know escape velocity and they could just go right up to the moon and the moon's like right here it's like right on top of them and they (laughs) they they take off this they get on the endeavor you know with the fake the the chinese rocket boosters and they they make it to the moon uh spoiler alert and uh then they're dealing with all these these like gravity waves on the earth and there's this hilarious scene where they're like trying to escape from the core of the moon, kind of like the Death Star type scenario. And they're like, oh, we got to get out of it. We got to make it to Earth. And then they just, like, it, like, plops. They Because, like, the moon's on top of the Earth. And they just, they're, like, in the moon in deep space. They come out, and then they're just, like, right on Earth. It's it's so wild, dude. You got to watch it. And um, I wanted to see, do you think there'd be any reality? Because I've seen this now in a couple different movies where they, like, retrofit some sort of defunct spacecraft. I mean, there's no way you could take a now almost 40-year-old space shuttle, you know, out of a museum and, like, make it fly again, right? That's not, that, that can't be possible. Well, my, my biggest question, and without having seen this movie before, uh, do they use the space shuttle at all to land on so, the moon? <laughs> so, so, yeah, well, basically, they fly into the moon. <laughs> my, my my aerospace brain's yeah, going the, like, the idea why? is the idea is because it's a, it's like kind of a storyline callback this pilot is the only he's the only nasa astronaut to ever pilot the shuttle without any power like he apparently he apparently landed the shuttle without any power like in the beginning of the movie that's what that's how it sets it up. Right. That, that's how he's qualified for this job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Mission. And then let's see, like mm-hmm. he gets, he get, you know, the, the NASA turns on him. He becomes an alcoholic, loses his kid, you know, comes back to earth and then he saves the world. You know, it's that, it's that kind of yeah, nice yeah. little quaint yeah. tie a bow on it story. Um, but, but when they, yeah, when they're trying to, I guess, get into the moon, are they using the wings of the shuttle? Oh yeah. Lift at any point. Well, no, because they just use the boosters to get it off, and then they don't know. I guess they kind of just glided it in. So I guess maybe it could work as a glider, right? God, it's not how that works at all. 
it's so it, it's so funny because like that's just not how orbital mechanics work uh it, it we gotta watch this movie with you man yeah i gotta I, see I, this dude, the reaction right like... now is just hilarious i would love to see that like Armageddon is typically the movie that aerospace engineers cite as like the worst use of physics. This possible. is wor- this is way worse. I promise you. It's Th- yeah, so- this this sounds like the new Armageddon. This is fantastic. The whole scene, the, the, but the thing is, it's fun. Like it's an enjoyable. You, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're like, yeah, I kind of like that movie. Like, I mean, not- I love Armageddon. Yeah, I, 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 it sounds great. <laughs> I always love how it's like, wait, we're gonna teach oil rigging guys how to. F- we're not gonna teach the the highly trained astronauts how to dig for oil we're gonna teach the oil digging guys how to <laughs> go to space like it seems like a real backwards concept but this is like it's it takes the absurdity of armageddon and, and just makes it like oh you think that's ridiculous hang on right oh, this is fantastic so so just to try to patronize the idea uh the idea of bringing the space shuttle back online I think this is like not it's not easy by any means, like actually a really hard thing to do. But I I bet you with the with a reasonable amount of funding, re- reasonable being like hundreds of millions of dollars, but maybe not billions. Uh, and maybe five years time, I bet you could uh, launch uh, the Endeavor. Like if Elon if Elon was like, I'm gonna get the Endeavor up, he could probably figure. Yeah, it out. If, if there are one thousand engineers, uh, half a billion dollars. And five years, yeah. I, well, I bet was you like, can get the This was endeavor. like 10 days and like 30 people that hadn't fled to the bunkers yet. Nah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, <laughs> and Halle Berry, who becomes interim NASA chief. Really? She becomes, uh, that's really, she, yeah. That, I, yeah. I think and then as, as the chief of NASA, she flies the mission. And they bring a guy who's an internet conspiracy theorist as their navigator. I feel like they could have vetted that better. That yeah, sounds like questions. like really bad yeah. people for the job. Yeah, they basically, uh, basically bring Alex Jones to the moon, to the hollow moon. Okay, well that, that sounds uh, that sounds like a good recipe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that like you could just put any like could any anybody off the street like survive not survive but like actually make it up to space? Do you think without like shit in their pants? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say like may, maybe the the most simple like bare bones requirement i'd have is like can you survive the most high g ride at six flags if you if you can do that and like not have felt queasy or not have Are we talking passed like out roller coaster or that thing where you go in and it just spins you really fast and it holds you up against the wall that somehow i can't believe is like allowed to be a ride Oh, I love that ride. Yeah, so do I. Dude, you know, there was there, a couple years ago, there was one that went bad. I think it was in Kansas. You got to look it up. The roof, is this at a fair or is yeah, this a more permanent setting? the roof setting? blew off. Yeah. Would it like spin off its axis or something? No, like, dude, like the roof came off and like six, oh. six people went fucking flying. Yeah. Like just, they went, to, they went to like Canada. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But okay, but uh, just to bring it back, I, I would say. Uh, Goliath or some other roller coaster that's famous from Six Flags or or, or Cedar Point, wherever you are, uh, if you if you can have a positive experience on the highest G roller coaster at one of those kind of parks and like again not have passed out, not have felt queasy, 
yeah, I, I would say you're 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 definitely like on your way to being strong enough uh, in that department to uh, to go on some quick space flight. It's gotten easier, right? Like because compared to like the Apollo missions, they were like pretty brutal as far as like the, the G's. It, it's generally re-entry where you experience the highest g-forces getting actually to where you're trying to go originally is like or i should say leaving an atmospheric body tends to expose you to lower g's than re-entering it that makes sense uh mm-hmm. if you're trying to go from here to the moon it's very likely that from here to the moon you uh are probably experiencing three and a half g's maybe three g's uh maybe four but I'd be surprised if you're experiencing more than four G's, which which is actually like right al- like perfectly aligned with some of the higher roller coasters, uh, yeah, at Six Flags or things like this. Like that is that is the kind of G force that you would experience. Uh, now it's more sustained in a rocket. Like we're talking about like three minutes or a few like five minutes uh, versus like four seconds on, on a roller coaster. But but generally that kind of force that that body force you experience uh, is, is is similar. When you're re-entering, though, typically uh, like Earth, for instance, where uh, the gravita- gravitational acceleration is, is much higher than, say, the Moon or even Mars, uh, the G-forces could be more like seven, a seven and a half. You're just basically uh, crashing into the planet. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you're coming in with a very specific angle and uh, to where you don't like I'm not sure if you're aware of this concept. It's kind of funny re-entering an atmospheric body is like a much more sensitive operation than most people realize. If you are orbiting around uh, a body and you try to enter it, there is a very specific angle and speed you want to do that at. Otherwise, you will come way too shallow uh, and you'll, you'll essentially go into, uh, uh, you, you'll, you'll, you'll burn up uh, in, in, in simple terms. You'll come in too quickly uh, and, and usually the, the kind of materials we have available to us, uh, thanks to the periodic table, would probably melt. Uh, mm. And if you come in too shallow, you actually have an atmospheric skipping event. Uh, if you essentially skip a rock on a lake, I you was have just a about very to sim- Yeah, you actually hit the the atmosphere of of say Earth, and you just go right back into. It. <laughs> uh, and uh, has that happened? Like, uh. I want to say no. I want to say no. It's no with an asterisk. It's not happened in a sustained manner to where essentially you had this skip and back into like orbit. Uh, but we, I believe during the, uh, like the 1950s, 1960s, there were uh, there were some effects uh, that were sort of the skipping uh, effect, where like the angle was slightly too shallow, and you you saw this sort of like re-altitude gain, but but nothing that uh, got our our um, our test pilots back into uh, in a sustained orbit. Wow, sick. Yeah, see, I thought sick. it was just kind of. I thought the hard part was going up. And then you just you just kind of wing it on the way back. Yeah, I mean the space shuttle uh, winged it for sure. That's two uh, giant brick like wings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, but anyway, like I, I certainly wouldn't choose the uh, space shuttle if I'm trying to get to the moon. Uh, 
the the wings are designed for atmospheric bodies the moon is like next to no atmosphere you're gonna love Damn. moonfall it's on hbo max sounds you're, great you're yeah love it. So, you're sounds like a lot of fun it's a perfect movie for you and your and your girl and your uh and your i gotta ask a question in our new place yeah let's hear it so you were talking about this earlier about how like these you know companies that are involved with commercializing space exploration or just going up for a joyride or just being out there for a little bit and then coming back like they lean heavily on what NASA astronauts or personnel that could probably attribute themselves or you know afford themselves with their cause like what does NASA think about all this shit like Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin and SpaceX are they like oh yeah those are the you know kind of redheaded stepchilds of the world or like are they helping them does it hurt what nasa is trying to do does it help what nasa is trying to do or, or does it even matter or are they just totally separate from the whole like it's it's kind of it's, it's fascinating me to think about like you know it's it's like down here you know you got nfl ball and then you got like xfl and you got like you know afl right. ball like like what's you know but it, but but nfl is always the de facto is that kind of like how it is for you know nasa or yeah, I'm trying to come up with an analogy here because like it, it, maybe in, in, the, in the smallest way, it's like if you're in the military, you have your attire based upon you know what, what branch you're in. But if you are a civilian and you like the pattern of camo, you know, you choosing to wear camo could be a fashion statement. You like it. You know, you think it looks good on you. Uh, and you know, there might be some other troop halfway across the world who is wearing that, you know, essentially to, uh, to blend in with the desert or to blend in with the tundra, whatever it is. But by them wearing it, there certainly is some sort of a recognition that someone else at school or someone else on the street would be like, yeah, it looks good on the guy. Or, you know, that that's, it looks cool. I, it, it's, it's unrelated to the, to the military for, for that person. It's probably more of an aesthetic appeal but it does have some sort of subtle like tick, you know, for, for everyone else who might see it as like, that's cool. And, uh, and so I think what you end up having is even though uh, there certainly might be some objective for NASA to, uh, to, to be the, the best provider of not only astronauts, but also spacefaring vehicles or the best provider of uh, deep space missions, there is no part of them that is upset by by seeing these other companies try to emulate some of the earlier successes they had in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and even the space shuttle program in the 70s, 80s, 90s, this is essentially the more, this is essentially them wearing camo and everyone loving it. You know, they, they, they see that and they, and now these other companies are, are rising to the occasion. And only recently, have uh, have actually g- gained enough traction to where what they're doing is uh, is competing uh, mm-hmm. with NASA, but uh, but but NASA, uh, you know, they're sort of changing their mindset now to be able to allocate their funding in ways to say, you know, our goals are to essentially make humanity a space uh, faring civilization, or our or our goals is to are to. Uh, improve life here on earth for our humans uh, and, and for any other life that might be that's down here with us, you know? And so if organizations such as SpaceX 
are helping to eventually get people to Mars, then some of the funding should go that direction if NASA feels like they might be the, the, the best shot to do it sooner. Uh, or maybe they can do it cheaper. Uh, and then you have these other uh, group, other companies that are helping to gain space awareness for people, you know, with Blue Origin and SpaceX and Virgin Galactic taking humans into space, it's making everyone else go like, maybe space could be a place I could go to. And, and the more you get that exposure, the more it's going to get everyone onto that space mindset. And I think it, it, it only helps our cause. Mm-hmm. I think also from like an, an outsider perspective, it's kind of the federal government following the same playbook that they used with, you know, uh, military contractors, intelligence agency, third parties, you know, where you can have, you can ha- be more efficient, have lower overhead and less red tape if you just kind of spin some things off to private third parties and work in collaboration for the same goal, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, e- even for the Apollo missions and the space shuttle missions, NASA was not the only organization putting in the work. Like JPL, they, right? uh, uh, JPL, they, they work a lot on the deep space mission uh, aspect of things. But yeah, Lockheed and, and, for, and what Lockheed previously was, Mark and Marietta, uh, you have Aerojet Rocketdyne, uh, Boeing, these sort of legacy uh, aerospace companies had huge uh, roles in the Apollo missions the and in the space uh, shuttle. Skidwalker Ranch. Um, what was his name? He had some military uh, space. I forget it. Ah, I have to think of it. Um, the, yeah, there, like, like, I, there's a lot of that. It definitely, and uh, and and it just happens that individual companies now are taking the lead. And, and this is something that it's, it's, it's uh, NASA applauds this and they support it. They, they, I, I, there, was a, there was a funny quote from, uh, I believe, Jim Bridenstine, uh, the former uh, NASA administrator, uh, he, he, when, uh, soon after the uh, Dragon spacecraft uh, came back to Earth and uh, astronauts Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley uh, took the Dragon spacecraft to the ISS and came back home safely, uh, Jim was like, you know, we're doing what we can to try to foster uh, uh, young young people uh, to becoming the next Elon Musk. You know, the, they they view him very highly, and they would and NASA would love to have uh, a dozen Elon Musks, uh, you know, walking around elementary schools in the next few years. Yeah, who wouldn't? Sick. Bigelow. Robert Bigelow, Bigelow Aerospace. Oh, Big, Bigelow Space is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the guy yeah, he owns. They, he owned Skinwalker Ranch for a while and was pouring a lot of money into that interesting. I don't know if you know anything about that, but that's one of those places where it's like there's a lot of anomalies going on that nobody can. Nobody wants to admit they're studying, but they're pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into it, and it's like a black site. And the government, federal government, owned it for a while. It's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I, I know he is one of the sort of a, he's part of the billionaire boys club uh, for, for space entrepreneurs. And uh, I, I, I only know tidbits. Uh, yeah. But I, I've seen some of his practical contributions. Like uh, he was uh, working on uh, essentially inflatable spacecraft that attached to the ISS. Yeah. Like habitat modules, right? Yeah. Yeah. You sure. should, you should check that out. I'd be curious what your thoughts are there. Uh, so, you know, every, every time we have you on, we kind of, as we wrap it up, 
we always kind of ask you like what's what's coming next you know not only for you but what, where do you see uh so first bef- before we get into what's coming next for you what do you see is like down the pike uh in the short term and what's your up-to-date expectation on when you know we get to mars because every every time i always ask you that question on, on how far you think we are yeah i, I think uh I am happy to say that my estimation hasn't changed. I, I still think something in the mid 2030s is uh, probably what, what I would, what I'd pick like 20, 2034 uh, sounds like the good year to me. And uh, of course, every year that, that date comes closer, but we're also making a lot of progress uh, every year. And uh, I, the the Starship location, uh, taking SpaceX for instance, uh, is making incredible progress uh, toward toward its first uh, orbital flight with its Starship program, and uh, and and then we've also seen some of the recent efforts with uh, SLS, the NASA's new uh, rocket space launch system, and uh, and that's on 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 the verge of its first orbital flight. So we 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 certainly have made a lot of progress in the last year. And uh, and I would say it's pretty well in line with uh, the kind of progress needed to to make the mid twenty thirties the year that uh, or twenty thirty four the year that uh, first brutes on Mars. That's good. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. What's what's next for you, man? What are you what are you working on? What are your personal goals? You know, I know what your long term goals are. We all do. But what are you what are you going to be doing to climb back up on that horse? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I mentioned one of the biggest things that I just didn't have uh, in my last application is full-time work experience. So I, I, I think the, tr- the truth of the matter is that at least for the, for the near term, my, be- my biggest goal is to be the best dang rocket designer and analyst I can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, Virgin Orbit's a fantastic place to do it. I, I love my job already. Uh, I can tell it's going to be a place I'll, I'll be for a while. And and it's uh, the kind of technical problems we're working through are, are fantastic. They're super interesting. They require some interesting solutions, and uh, it's exactly what what I've been seeking for for years. So I, I'm going to be the best dang engineer uh, I can be, and uh, and you'll see more of my parse go to space over the next year or two. I believe that, and you know, <laughs> Virgin, you know, you've got yourselves a a master communicator, a great champion of science and mm-hmm. you know someone who's who's a you're you're a real person too you know you're not like uh in a bubble of learning uh and you got some real real practical um experiences to to lend to that environment and i think making i think that's an important thing now more than ever you know you, you hear about uh, things like military recruitment is down. And I say all the time, like, had I had known what my interests were going to end up being in my 30s when I was in high school, military would have been a great fit for me. Because it's like, oh, you, you get to blow things up. You get to work out, hang out with your bros. Okay, sign me up. You know, retire at 40. Okay. But when you're 18, 17, you don't understand these things yet. Now you got, you know... NASA's not just competing with private interests. They're competing with kids that want to be YouTubers or mm-hmm. kids that want to be TikTokers. Now it's like, okay, you're somebody who's intelligent, entrepreneur. You know, why, 
why go to school for an extra six years? I could just sell pictures of my feet on the internet, you know? Uh, it's kind of like we're getting to a point where we got to make sure that there's still a, a respected value, not only, you know, from a traditional monetary sense, but also like from a communal sense that we respect and uplift people that get into these fields that bring us closer to these next levels of achievement because we, we all can't be podcasters and feet pick creators. You know what I mean? Like we, we need, we need people to go into, into the, the, the scientific fields and art and business and um, you know, more people, I think more young people need to hear that that's a cool, viable, financially promising avenue to go down and that you don't just have to be an astronaut. You could work. There's all these other little downstream things that you can do to be involved in it that are just as important, if not more important. You know, they're not going to be putting any astronauts in in a a rocket or any sensitive scientific equipment in a rocket that they can't trust the structural integrity of it. There's no point if we don't have the structural integrity. So, you know, the, the, all those little things, they, they add up to this big goal. And I think it's really cool that, you know, sometimes like I say to Daryl all the time, like, man, we, we, we know the coolest people, you know, like we get to talk to the coolest people. And when I watch a movie like Moonfall, I get to ask somebody like you, like, hey, what, what the fuck is going on here? You know, <laughs> and it's and it's uh, and it's fun. So, you know, as always, man, we appreciate uh, we appreciate you and, and what you do for, for everybody, you know, you're, you're carrying the flag and, uh, for, for spending some time with the Everyman podcast here. I know the Everyman and the Everywoman certainly enjoys it. It's a, it's a tradition, you know, uh, much yeah. like Christmas and, and oh, Halloween, yeah. it's, it's Dylan Dickstein, uh, every year on the clock. So Triple D. It's, uh, right around the, uh, fall equinox, you know? Right, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. for our for our fifth equinox, we'll have to do something. Eventually, we'll do one of these in person. I'm sure. We'll, I'm sure we'll all be in the same place at the same time. Hell yeah! Any, well, uh, well, thank you guys. Uh, yeah. Sorry, any, should I say again? No, I was going to ask you if you had any uh, any closing words for the everyman and the everwoman. Yeah, I. You know, I. I know my six year old self will be patting myself on the back. I. You know, I. I. I wanted to be a, a rocket designer and analyst uh, since I was a kid. Actually, that was a, a goal that came to me well before wanting to become an astronaut. That actually didn't even come until I turned about 20. Uh, and so the the whole reason why I wanted to become a rocket designer uh, was because my parents essentially exposed me to this uh, this hobby rocketry kit when I was a little kid. And we, we launched it off at the park. And I remember just my six-year-old self was like, that was not what I expected. That thing like went to the sky, you know, like, uh, like I didn't know what I, I thought was going to happen, but seeing this amazing little tiny thing go 500 miles per hour, I uh, blew my mind. And uh, th- those little experiences, just that exposure. Yeah. When you're a kid can be, can be so, so amazing. And, and they can really like set you up for something that my five-year-old self, you know, could never have uh, thought I, uh, and, and so, yeah, like I, I think as, as people get exposed to TikTok and, uh, and, and whatever's on their phone most easily, I, yeah, I, I think there's just, yeah, as you were saying, like there's just so much, it's so crucial that you're exposed to everything, not just uh, someone spouting, uh, you, you know, yeah, you should be a YouTuber, or you should be a TikToker as well. But, but, you know, you take some of that uh, information you're getting on those, on those media 
and and maybe there's a maybe there's a finance person on TikTok that could get you into finance later on. There's all sorts of uh, avenues, and I think since the exposure is what got me in this position, I think just like you know helping to guide people to to get exposure from all sorts of avenues uh, where they see it the most. I think that's the key, and not to not to be uh, excuse me not to be uh, too myopic in, uh, in in what we're exposed to. Well, I'll tell you this, as long as we got people like you, Dylan, that are actually cool and unbelievably knowledgeable and personable and just a stud, man, the, there, there are going to be tons of six-year-old selves out there like, hey, man, like I can do this because Triple D has done it and he's still doing it. And, you know, his goals, his dreams, his aspirations, just kind of like how we professor here on the uh every man like uh, it happened because you know we stuck to it he worked hard and you know achieved his goal so like um man kudos to you man this is i can't wait for us all to get in person though but this is gonna be this is sick man this yeah. is this is really cool could thank you guys could say better myself dylan dr dickstein have a great day we'll see you down the road bye guys thank you <laughs> <laughs>